You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Manisha Alawalia. She is an infectious disease specialist and general life coach. She didn't think she had a choice. And when she realized she had a choice, she found her voice. She's going to share her story with us here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So tell us your story into medicine and into coaching. My story into medicine is probably kind of a comedy. <laughs> I'm an Indian person. I'm an Indian American uh, woman. I was raised in the U.S. My parents are born in India and came here in the 70s. And as many Indian people do, um, there is a push for a lot of us to become doctors, lawyers, engineers. And when it came time to decide what to do in high school and college, it was sort of the natural route of me doing pre-med and then deciding to go to medical school. And the funny thing is, my dad actually said to me, I don't think that you work hard enough to be a doctor, so you might want to choose something else. Wow. <laughs> so going into medicine was a, I'm going to prove you wrong mm -hmm. type of uh, situation. Although my mom says I apparently was talking about becoming a doctor much before that, which somehow I don't remember anymore. So that's how I became a doctor. All right. And as you venture into that, how did you choose your specialty? Oh, it was the elective and the mentors. It was absolutely the group of people that I rotated with as a resident. They were a family from the get-go, um, from top, the top down, from the chairman. He's definitely my mentor up till today, even though he's passed away. Mm -hmm. Just created the most welcoming and understanding and patient environment for somebody to learn and grow and when I met those people, I knew that I wanted to be part of their group and want the, wanted them to train me. And so it happened. So I didn't actually, um, I didn't want to start my fellowship immediately after residency. I wanted to give myself a year to do Doctors Without Borders and circumstances don't work out as you plan them. So there's a story there, but I will wait to see if that's going to be shared. That emerges. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. in this time of COVID, so we're recording in November of 2020, and as an infectious disease specialist, how has that been for you in the current environment? I can say that as a physician and as a specialist in this field, it's been an opportunity to see the evolution of what happens as an infection begins, as we learn about something new, as we learn about what works and doesn't work, as we learn about how behavior, human behavior evolves through a time like this. And then as we start to see that the science emerges and new things come out, how we apply those, it's been a continuum of learning. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Not to mention the harsh reality that because so many hospital systems are in the red when looking for work, because I'm mm-hmm. not permanently employed, mm-hmm. often agencies are looking to employ either or hospitals are looking to employ either anesthesiologists or maybe surgeons, people who are considered proceduralists mm-hmm. rather than cerebral or you know um, cognitive specialties and I found that very interesting because even though it's a pandemic and I'm an infectious disease specialist, now is not the time for us to be hired apparently uh, just because of the finances. Yeah, interesting to see how that plays out and the logic doesn't always seem to be partnered in there. And what I love hearing is you're a specialist, right? So you have this kind of subspecialty focus and seeing the whole person, right? So you're still understanding how behavior outside the clinical space impacts infectious disease for that person and for the population. And looking at that through the osteopathic lens, right? So it's never just one thing that contributes to how well a patient is going to do. And perhaps COVID has illustrated that more for us than anything else, right? What are the risk factors? Who is going to be most susceptible Mm-hmm. And how has that shifted your perspective when you're engaging with patients or perhaps their families or perhaps, you know, their colleagues who are helping to care for them on mm-hmm. a daily basis to bring that in to the perspective? It's such an interesting question. And what I find in the patient room is that raw, honest conversation that brings this to light. You ask the person who's struggling to breathe before they've gone on on the ventilator and you ask them, how do you think you got this? And they tell you, I was just hanging out with people indoors, playing cards, eating meals, not wearing a mask. And I just didn't think it would happen to me. And then you ask them if they would do it differently next time. And they say, absolutely. Yes, because they're struggling to breathe. And so it's, it's, I don't think it's that people don't have the information because this is what the people have shared with me. It's not that we don't know what to do. We just get tired of following the rules and we just get tired of people telling us what to do mm-hmm. and we want to be free. And this is, this is the common human experience. This is patients, physicians, it doesn't matter. And, and it has caused what we're seeing now, but it's absolutely normal human behavior that's brought us here. I think that's so important to notice because it can really be hard to believe, right? Even when given the data that something as simple as playing cards with, you know, your cousin could be so problematic. And I'd be interested to hear how having gone through coach training and coaching practice now has supported that because there could be a lot of guilt or shame around that. You know, I shouldn't have done this. Like I should have known better. And to hold space and allow the patient to see that and reflect on it. And yes, you know, take responsibility, but without that sense of dread or, you know, regret even in that space. Has that come up for you? Yeah, I think you can offer an opportunity of empowerment back to the patient when they're in that place of shame. It's like, you get to use what you know now. You get to use it for yourself. You get to use it for your loved ones. You get to tell them, what you've learned and how you failed and learned from this experience. Maybe you didn't think of it the right way. Maybe your thinking didn't serve you. Maybe you're feeling the shame, but it is going to serve a higher purpose and they get to be empowered with that to go forward and help others understand in a way that they didn't Mm -hmm. and maybe help themselves understand in a way they didn't before as well. Yes. And that can be so helpful because if we've come through an already unpleasant situation that we wish we could have done differently to continue to punish ourselves for it 
only adds right to the drama and the trauma of it. So giving them some space to say, okay, yes, it happened. And, you know, here's where we are now and here's where we can go forward. So important to also not come from a place of judgment, talking down to the patient. I always try to bring myself to eye level with the patient, whether they're high up in the bed or sitting in a chair. I think it's so important to maintain that sort of body language as you're speaking with people, just so they don't get the impression that, oh, you're the all-knowing and they know nothing because that's not true. Like I said before, the human behavior has dictated what they've done and it's dictated what I've done. Mm -hmm. Have I been 100% on par with what has been expected of me? Probably not. I'm not any better or any worse than the person in front of me. So it's important to not come from a place of judgment. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important for us to remember right now, as we do in that question you ask, how do you think you got this? Not accusatory, but truly from a curiosity space for future prevention, right? For, you know, minimizing future risk. And I think that's been lost a bit, right? Because if there is an exposure or a positive case, there's this tendency to want to keep it secret and instead being able to disclose and support one another in that. And do you see that beyond COVID. And so where that holding of space allows for more authentic and complete sharing, perhaps in patients, or we can go into non-clinical space as well. Uh, When (laughs) I can give you a very personal example, actually, Um, this idea that there's not enough for everyone. So when there's a a pie and some goes to one person and some goes to another. And specifically for me, when it comes to fertility and infertility, seeing others in the same journey who maybe become pregnant or have a baby and the thoughts and feelings that came up for me when that was happening, when is it going to happen for me? I don't want it to happen for her. I'm very jealous. Mm -hmm. Well, what, you know, that's, of course you're jealous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is human. And that's what the coach that I was working with offered to me. And one of the most profound moments that I ever experienced is being able to admit that I am having this feeling that I had forgotten. I knew how to feel, but I was feeling jealous. Mm -hmm. And to be able to admit that and say, I'm feeling jealous of you and I'm extremely happy for you. Mm -hmm. That, That is something where I came to myself without judgment and to learn that and to apply it in a way that you have approached yourself with forgiveness rather than judgment with compassion, with grace. Absolutely. And that starting with yourself is so profound and so difficult, right? And we might think, no, I'm pretty good about myself. But like you said, when you really dig deeper and uncover that, There are a lot of those practices and the ones that maybe we do have a harder time with others, it might be because, right, we've kind of skipped over them with ourselves. And Mm -hmm. like you said, allowing that feeling to occur, because you might think, well, I shouldn't be, right? Like a good friend wouldn't be jealous here, but absolutely, but a totally normal human, of course, would be. And those can be the same thing, right? Good friend, normal human, same thing, same moment. Simultaneous. Yeah. That's really huge to notice. And you mentioned choice in your kind of opening mission statement. Mm -hmm. And what were the things about which you felt 
so little choice. And you probably have touched on a couple here, right? In your yes. journey in medicine and your personal journey, which of those really pulled you in and made you say, wait, no, I do have a choice here. And it was the third of its kind. And I think it's important to highlight all three really quickly. The first one was if you don't break up with that guy, we won't come to your medical school graduation. So that came from my dad. And if you don't see more patients and generate more income and billing, we will let you go from this job. That came from my boss, first attending job. Okay. And if you don't decide to have children, this marriage is over. And that came from my husband and my in-laws. Mm-hmm. So when it happened the third time with my husband and in-laws, it struck a chord that I I guess I had realized, but not so much. Mm -hmm. And from that place, I started to feel so disempowered that I didn't have a choice in my entire life. So for 25 years, I've been carrying that thought, right? That I'd never had a choice in anything I've done so far, Mm -hmm. not in my relationships, not in my job, and not now in my choice of remaining Mm child-free. And that was the major sort of low point when I realized, why do I not have a choice? I have done so much to be in my life and yet I feel so disempowered. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, great things have happened since then, but that is the, the, the fulcrum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was that turning point. And so that brought you into the space of really feeling like you hadn't directed anything in your life up until that point. And so we picture that, you know, I kind of picture this bottom of a well moment, you know, it's dark and it's damp and there's no rope. And so what brought you that glimmer, right, of light or that you could climb out or that someone might be able to lower the rope? What was that for you? I had a very good friend at my work place, same age as me, very kind hearted. And she started introducing me to podcasts (laughs) And the first one was Katrina Ubel. Mm-hmm. And as many physicians have discovered her podcast, I did too. I also discovered um, a Facebook group of women physicians run by a very powerful cardiac anesthesiologist, Style MD, and Sasha Shilkut. The new messages that I was hearing in the podcast and the Facebook group, it opened me up to new ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. New ways of thinking that were out there, but maybe not for me but then maybe I could try them on. Yeah. And so slowly, as I started to try them on, I wanted to get more and more involved. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started to dig myself out of that hole. Because, you know, I had behind me a great solid foundation of a, of a relationship and also just an upbringing that was absolutely terrific. But now I was overcome with these thoughts like I never had a choice and I never started to notice that I didn't, that I had those thoughts Mm -hmm. until it sort of came to a head with this third ultimatum that was, that I was given. And then it just became overwhelming that, oh my gosh, I really do have these thoughts that I don't have a choice, that I'm disempowered. And so from that place of desperation, I think it became so important to find new thoughts, to find new ideas. And that was, that was it. Then I haven't looked back since. (laughs) I love that. And I love you keep painting this picture of these dichotomies, right? So you even can honor all the wonderful things that happened in your growing up life and in your yeah. relationship and yeah. have them be married with these other thoughts at the Absolutely. same time, you know, so yeah. we might think 
well, if I had this perfect situation, why would I be held back by that? But it's not the situation, right? All of that framework can be there, but we need our thoughts about it to actually turn it into a functional way of being. We're dysfunctional. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we look at that, you know, osteopathic medicine, we talk about structure and function, their interrelationship. And in my specialty, I do hands-on treatment. So I identify dysfunction, you know, all day long. And I have a hard time with that thing. Like, oh, like, I don't want to, I want to spend time in the health, but it can be both, right? So I can honor the health and be identifying this isn't going well, you know, and mm-hmm. that's pretty common, right? It may not be quote unquote normal, right? For thinking about the neutral of how a body should be, but it's very usual. And yeah. so what can we do to look at those? And so how do you hold space for both of those, the health, right? All of those positive things in your world and the dysfunction, right? Which was sounded like thoughts for the yeah. most part and kind of bring them back together, yeah. you know, and reunite the health with that dysfunction. As I gained health, mental, emotional, physical, and that is exactly what was happening. It was all three I had to touch on to really get myself back to where I was at neutral. Um, I learned that I have done the best that I could have done. And as soon as I gained that compassion for me, I could go back and give compassion to those that had given me these choices called ultimatums <laughs> throughout life. I mean, I had the dad that I needed to have. Mm-hmm. I had the boss that I needed to have, my first boss. I had the husband, the in-laws that I needed to have to become exactly where I am right now. I mean, I, I couldn't have been different, right? Mm-hmm. And so the health and the dysfunction have to meet Absolutely. For most people in order to make change. Mm-hmm. How many times do we take good health and make it better? Mm-hmm. Most of the time we're at rock bottom before we make some major changes. So it was all there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so once you have, let's say, arrived to this place and you have awareness and you now know you have choices and you're finding your voice, what are the ways you're speaking you know, and we can use that literally or figuratively. How is your yeah. voice coming through? You know, I've always been outspoken. I've always been a leader. I've always been able to speak vocally, verbally in front of others. I actually use um, Toastmaster skills quite a bit because I did that early on, just like my dad did, mm-hmm. just like my husband did, <laughs> interestingly enough. But Speaking has never been a problem. Being vulnerable has never been a problem. Being honest has never been a problem. I've always written lots of emails, deep sort of introspective emails to all my friends, my quote unquote followers, as you might call them. Mm -hmm. Those email correspondents, you know, they sort of slowly became, I guess, my Facebook friends. And on Facebook, I've, I've put out lives. I've put out video recordings of me asking for even asking one time for a donor egg in my fertility struggle. I mean, a lo- like a video, a 15 minute video and people always comment, you're so courageous, you're so vulnerable. How do you do that? And I always think to myself, but this is not abnormal for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to be another way. So when I, when I am is how I speak, you know, that is just me. I haven't ever been any other way that I can remember. So now how does that happen? I, I post lots on Facebook. I, um, I do some video posts. Um, I might speak at a conference. Mm-hmm. I might be on a podcast. I might 
um, actually get paid to speak, which is happening next month mm-hmm. and quite exciting. Um, and I'm not surprised because I'm very comfortable speaking. And I do think that as I find my voice, I can speak louder and wider. Mm-hmm. And that is very empowering. So mm-hmm. I love being where I am right now because of that. I love that you're growing. And so here's a place you did take pretty good health, right? And you're speaking and you're making it better through there. So it's possible, right, to fine tune. And does the message change? It sounds like you had, you know, the confidence and that willingness to be fully yourself, which is brilliant and isn't always automatic for most people. Do you find that the message has changed when you realize you do have a lot more autonomy in your own life? I think the message the, the part that's common about my messages before and my messages now is that they were always authentic. Like we can't be different than we actually are. So whatever I shared before, whether I was disempowered or in judgment, you know, that may have come across then. And what comes across now is just a different quality. It may be some more empowerment, but it's always authentic mm-hmm. because what else can you be? Mm-hmm. I think I'm more empowered when I speak. I think I inspire more. I think I, um, call more people to me Mm -hmm. through my words now, because I think so many people have experienced what I've already been through Mm -hmm. so that we can relate. And just through sheer number of years on this earth, right? You've Mm -hmm. experienced things and so have others. And so they find much more, many more ways to relate to you. And I can, you know, there's, there's a list of experiences that I've had that I'm sure others have had as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that common experience, you know, we talk about the unity and you mentioned, you know, mental, physical, and emotional and the mind, body, spirit that we seek to support in osteopathic medicine. And I like to extend that beyond just the person, right? So all of those pieces of us reflected in one another. What are some ways you connect through either of those mediums, body, mind, spirit mm-hmm. with yourself and with others? What have been some helpful resources for you there? So in my journey of fertility, I've reached out to complementary and alternative medicine practitioners a lot. Three years, I was in acupuncture. I just quit that two months ago, maybe. Chiropractic care, mm-hmm. um, tapping, meditation, journaling. But in my view, there's no better self-care than thought work, mm-hmm. getting to know your thoughts. And finding your place of empowerment by saying something along the lines of, I've got my back, no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's no better self-care than that, in my opinion. I, I just, I know that I'm open to all the modalities, but when I discovered that thought work can bring that to me, mm-hmm. it ripples into everything. Yes. And that one moves so nicely into the idea of that inherent capacity for self-healing. And so that was always there, right? It was always available to you and accessible to you and was being expressed in different ways. I love that illustration of how you've been comfortable speaking throughout. And what do you notice that you're uncovering that you can also say, oh yeah, that was always there. Like this has always been me. And it's just getting to emerge now in a new way. I always knew I would have a message to share and then I had a message to share. And every day it just becomes a little bit more clear, but it's never the same. If you ask me today versus yesterday, there's always a little tweak 
on that message that I want to share. And the other part is just the physical. I always knew that there was a potential for strength, Mm -hmm. physical strength. And as I grow in my physical journey, literally seeing my biceps grow, (laughs) (laughs) um, I always knew that was possible. So mind and body have always been something that I knew I had to, to strengthen. And I, now that I'm doing it, it just feels normal and natural and sort of the next progression. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me how coaching is emerging for you. So we hear some of the ways you're bringing it into the clinical space, using it for yourself. What else is happening for you with coaching? I think I'm a coach first for myself Mm -hmm. and for all the ways I've needed a coach. I think I've realized that I've never been really involved in academic medicine, but being able to coach in academics as in medical students and residents through Mm -hmm. actually your work coaching Mm -hmm. for institutions. Thank you, Dr. Beaky. That has been one of the most rewarding experiences of being a coach is to give back to impressionable early medical students, people in their second and third months of Mm -hmm. medical school. There hasn't been anything more profound than that. Um, They trust us and we have so much to offer to them. And then we also learn so much from them. Learn about our own beginnings as physicians Mm -hmm. and define sort of where we've come since then. It's, It's a really, really interesting perspective on coaching and also the new ideas that are coming to me in terms of like who is my ideal client and it's all come together in terms of what is my background what is my cultural background I started by saying I'm an Indian American Mm -hmm. and the Indian American has a unique perspective and so does their parent Mm -hmm. and when I can look at the struggles that I've had that's what's being portrayed on Netflix, even on Indian matchmaking. Hmm. And when I look at all of that and understand where I am in my life, I can very clearly visualize who my ideal client is. And they're the people struggling in that, in that very unique space that we have the Indian American child and the Indian parent and the expectations that are on both groups mm-hmm. and the pain and suffering that's caused when those expectations are not met. That's becoming very, very clear to me. So that's where I'm going with coaching, mm-hmm. but still keeping with me, the medical students, the residents, mm-hmm. the private coaching clients. And then of course with Dr. Sunny Smith, mm-hmm. I've been privileged enough to coach as um, a coach within her empowering women physicians program. Mm-hmm. Another absolutely profound experience because the same struggles I've been through, the same ways I think, the same feelings that I have is pretty much what all women physicians mm-hmm. have. And so me just being maybe just a few steps ahead of them, it's so helpful, again, in both directions for the clients and for myself. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity for that mutual benefits in the relationships, I think is so profound and lends itself to that abandonment of the scarcity model, right? We talked about pie a little bit earlier, Mm. but even then when we can nourish each other with the experience and Mm. 
what I love with the students and you painted such a beautiful picture is we get to retell our own story mm-hmm. differently, right? So we can go back and think, oh yeah, you know, I got caught up in all of that too. And that's okay. And I can even now, you know, 20 years later, reframe mm-hmm. how it actually was, you know, yeah. and, and like you said, with your own personal journey with your family, of course, right. And this is what got me to here, yeah. you know, and that's so beautiful and seeing that who you are matters, right. Who you are is actually going to be what benefits others. I think is really amazing, especially for physicians, because we've always been told we have to be something else, right? We're getting to this title and this training. And that's, you know, when you're like these other people and when you're committing this standard, that's when it, you've arrived. But here you get to say, because I'm me and all of these things, that's actually the biggest value. Yeah. And that's huge. That's right. And how amazing to bring that to these other women physicians and Indian American people with whom you'll work. Yes. Really profound. Yes. When you're looking at this season, you know, so again, we're kind of in the middle of a traditional holiday season in the United States. Mm -hmm. What comes up for you as most helpful, you know, that might buoy you in a different way, especially right in the holiday season of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, Unprecedented as all years are, but perhaps in a unique way. How are you finding yourself in this particular season? It's been one of the best times in my life and in our life as a couple. Mm -hmm. My husband's been home every day. I haven't worked full time. So I'm working as a locum infectious disease physician. We're home a lot. Um, We've discovered a lot about each other. I've discovered a lot about my family members, those who want to distance, those who don't want to distance. I've learned, um, the value of non-judgment because again, human behavior is human behavior. Everybody's got their own reasons for what they, you know, why they do what they do. Um, This season has been one of tremendous growth. Finding my voice that happened in this season, leaving permanent medicine, employed medicine has happened in this season. Um, Getting certified as a life coach has happened in this season. (laughs) Mm-hmm. so it's been a transformative season like no other probably mm-hmm. for me yeah and what would you offer as we head towards 2021 and for those listening and thinking it just seems crazy right and chaotic and nothing I thought was going to happen has happened what would be some key takeaways that might help buoy yeah. that transition that have served you If you think it's crazy, if you think this is unprecedented, if you think that we're never going to get through this, keep that thought. You don't have to drastically change your thinking. You could just add to it. This is crazy and we're going to be okay. This is crazy and I might consider getting vaccinated when the vaccine is here. This is unprecedented and look how far I've come. I mean, there's so many ways to just tweak what you already think mm-hmm. without being so drastic that it doesn't feel like you. Yeah. That's what I say. I love that. The power of and is mm-hmm. pretty tremendous. You know, that last one, right? This is unprecedented and look how far I've come. Yeah. You know, that's a really helpful phrasing and believable, right? Yeah. Because we are, we're here and we're continuing to arrive each day. And on that note, I would say that, you know, we're always striving to do the next thing, the next thing. 
And my latest discovery is that maintenance is an active process. Mm-hmm. When you wake up and brush your teeth and put on fresh clothes and take a shower and eat something, but that doesn't have to happen every day. You mm-hmm. could choose to just check out from that process, but you're choosing to do it, which means that you have a reason to take care of yourself, means that you believe in taking care of yourself, even if you don't think this is traditional self-care, but it is. It's an active process every day that you're deciding to do these things. Mm-hmm. And I want to give more credit to the maintenance of what we already do so that we're not always looking for the next thing Mm -hmm. so that we can just be where we are for a little while, especially in a time like this. Mm -hmm. What is so wrong with maintenance? Nothing. Yes. Yeah. And that self-regulatory and health maintenance is one of the tenets, right? So it's not always about shiny, faster, better, longer. (laughs) It's like, just be what you are, you know, for Mm -hmm. as long as that serves you. And I think it's so easy to lump things in to maintenance and not give credit for them, right? For physicians, especially, that's just what we do, right? That's just part of the job. Yes. And it still counts, right? And we can still celebrate it and you're still doing it, you know, even though it is just a default setting, you know, so thank you for offering that up and giving us all permission to celebrate. Yeah, I need that permission. So I give it to myself first. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, judgment, permission, we're doing all the things here today. Well, this has been so fantastic. You've covered all the tenants so beautifully and sharing your story and how you're bringing this encouragement to your patients and to so many. So I know your voice will continue to be heard in all the places. As we wrap up here, we've heard a lot of options, but I'm curious how you see yourself for the health of all things. For the health of all things. Again, I come back to the self. You take care of your mind and your thoughts. And that creates hopefully a thought that says, I've got my back no matter what. And hopefully that creates unconditional love for you. And how better to serve all things, right, than taking care of yourself first, loving yourself first, offering that same unconditional love to others. I can't think of a better way to bring change in the smallest microcosm, just your bubble. And then, you know, the, the next larger bubble right around you, maybe you and your spouse, then maybe you and your spouse and your dog. (laughs) And maybe just one neighbor and maybe somebody across a Zoom call call. Mm -hmm. and maybe your patient and maybe this person and that person and the next person. And then the ripple just continues. But if you don't start with yourself, you've missed the boat. I think you've missed the entire purpose of being. See what your thoughts are. See if you can get to, I've got my back no matter what. Because when you get there, it's yeah it's it's the best feeling that feeling of unconditional love for oneself Mm -hmm. and if we were all doing that right if everybody just in their own bubble took care of that yes how amazing that would be yeah such a beautiful illustration well thank you thanks for taking the time to be here and please tell our listeners where they can find you to learn more and continue to hear your message 
my name is the same everywhere. So it's Manisha Aluwalia. Um, on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook business page called Life Coaching with Manisha Aluwalia, MD. And I have an Acuity site. I can let you have that link so that people Perfect. can schedule a session to talk about what it is that I do and how we can help mm-hmm. um, and to see if we're a good fit. And that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. I'm sure many will be impacted by your message. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.